0: Hello oh, and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We are Native and Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 204, recorded on August the 16th, 2022. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. We're back! Great! Yay! We we could not stay away until September. <laughs> I mean we not okay, even early. We, yeah, we're Uh-oh. early. Does that mean that fall is early as well?
1: It doesn't seem that way. No
0: fall
2: hit me a long time ago.
0: <laughs> that's the mental fall. And then you come to the mental winter, but that's yeah, just, just white. Winter it is has, coming. Always. It's now 29 degrees in my, my room, and I think it's going to be um, going up. So it is August. We've had almost, well, more than a month of, uh, of actual vacation. So what have you been up to uh, these couple of weeks since we recorded last? Haney, what have you been doing?
1: Well, uh, I'm kind of saving my vacations, so I did have a little vacation Uh, during this time, but I've been working most of the time. So I've been banging my head against the wall with API management. (laughs) I've been learning about HashiCorp Vault. (laughs) I've been doing all kinds of things at work. I did have some time to take off and I did some mountain biking and things like that. So it's been good.
0: Nice, all sounds great apart from API management, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Simon, what have you been up to?
2: I've been finalizing my office, which included me being electrocuted and ended up in emergency. True story. True story. Um, Other than that, I've been preparing for AVD TechFest because we are now only two weeks off, and uh, it's been a lot of work. Like, it's... We will talk about that during the conference. It's incredible how much time you spend on an in-person event. Mm -hmm. So for everyone of you that are attending them, especially now after COVID, do thank the organizers and thank the
0: sponsors for all the support they give. Definitely thank the organizers and the sponsors. And please, if you can't go, cancel your ticket because then it can go to someone else. And as Simon said, the, the amount of work that we put in is just staggering and it's easy to forget that after this proliferation of, of online conferences. Just just saying.
2: And you, Alex, what have you oh, been up to?
0: Um so I was never very good at this whole vacation thing. I've done a few things. I've I've made a few decisions um for starters. I've I've started flying heavier airplanes. I'm I've started transitioning to heavier, um the normal types of airplanes. So Light aircraft pilot's license is, is I'm working through that, doing uh, both uh, the, um, the practical flying and the theory. Um, I also resigned. What? Hmm. Yeah. So I'm leaving my current employer at the end of August, and I will be spending September between jobs, which is a very hip <laughs> way of saying that I don't have a job in September, but come <laughs> October, I'll start at a new place. I am not at liberty to say where just yet, uh, but it's it's going to be made public, and I am beyond excited to to go there. Uh, just saying, it's, it's going to be a new chapter, and it's one of these things that slot into an opportunity you cannot say no to. So, really mm-hmm. excited to see where that takes me. Exciting times.
2: Congratulations.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So there have been some news. What? And well, I I know, right? We something happened during summer. That's the thing. We turn our back and suddenly everyone is just creating content like crazy. And I could spend about 2 days talking about Power BI and I would just bore the two of you to death. Exactly, and this is why we do not record video because <laughs> yeah. They're already um, bored. I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll be very, very quick, and I'll be brief. I'm, I'm going to touch on a few things that I find really interesting. Uh, there have been two monthly releases, both the, uh, the July and the August release. And for these, I think the, the most interesting parts are network days, which is a DAX function that is actually not called network days. It's network days. Days. So it's a function to figure out the number of working days. Yes, I know that anyone that says network gets Haney's undivided attention. Um, But this is not network, it's network days. Really clever piece of engineering to quickly help you figure out how many working days are there between two dates. You can specify how you calculate the weekend, how you calculate vacation and, and the holidays and stuff like that. So really, really powerful. That's one thing. Uh, there are now conditional formatting for data labels. Uh, previously, all the data labels in a, a visual had to conform to the same uh, formatting. Now you can format specific labels, meaning that you can create callouts for specific data points. This is huge for doing really clear and easy to read um, visuals. I, I definitely like it. There are a new a number of new settings that you can poke around with. So Power BI and, and Analysis Services have been around side-by-side side for quite some time. And as Microsoft are, are slowly edging away from Analysis Services, more and more Analysis Services stuff is getting ported over to, to Power BI. One of them is the AAS server properties, and one of them is the evaluation configuration setting. So you can now enact more control over your Power BI workload inside of the, the, uh, the, the premium capacity and, and that stuff. And the final thing that I'm going to say, nope, not, let me rephrase <laughs> that. There are two more things. The datamarts <laughs> that came out a while back they, you can access them through two ways. Either you access them through the automatically created data So you create a data mart, Power BI gives you a data set and a database, but it's most likely you're gonna be interacting with it through the data set. You can talk straight to the database if you want to. And if you find out how to figure out what it's called, it's a bit of a hassle to find the actual URL for the database. Not so anymore. It's been exposed, so it's dead easy to choose when you want to access your data mart, if you want to access it through the data set, or if you want to go straight for the database endpoint, the SQL endpoint. Definitely, probably a small UI change, but it gives so much flexibility to, to the whole thing. And now, the last thing. Today, actually, was a a, um, a new blog post by Jeffrey Wang, who is, Principal, develop, lead, or something like that. So he's deep, deep, deep into the DAX language. He helps write the DAX language at Microsoft, and he showed a a hidden DAX um, function. And it's called Evaluate and Log. So one of the difficult things with DAX is to troubleshoot and, and debug DAX because say say you have a a um, a, um an expression that does something minus something else. If you want to figure out what these numbers are you need to create more measures that gives, give you every part of the, the more complex uh, thing. With evaluate and log you don't need to divide it into number of uh, of discrete uh, things. You can just add this whole evaluate and log. It's Dead easy. It's n- not working as it should just yet. That's why it's <laughs> undocumented. It's Jeffrey just uh, showed uh, a few other bugs in, in his blog post. But definitely check it out because this is bringing a new tool and a new process to the table that will make it so much easier to do development and, and debugging in DAX going forward. So excited to see what, what's going to happen there.
2: And uh, as you know, the interesting news starts now with myself and Haney. So let's start with everything endpoint. <laughs> uh, it hasn't been quite there either. <laughs> Just before we started this recording, we started a new project that we will disclose in the sh- near future. So or maybe stay tuned. Not. <laughs> ah, come on, check in.
1: Yeah, we need to do so, it.
2: Yeah, sorry. There have been news in Intune this summer as well, uh, and I want to highlight a few of them. And in contrast to Alexander, it's actually a few, and there are tons more. So a lot of focus have been on macOS and iOS. We have a ton of new settings. But two things I want to point out is, first, the sign-in on other device. So imagine that you have one phone, and only one phone, and you need to enroll that into Microsoft Intune. And you haven't set up MFA. How or and you have a very complex password. How do you enroll? So what you can do now is within the modern authentication flow on the device, you will actually get a code, a unique six-digit code. You can then on another device sign in with that code and the Mm. authentication details you have, or however you choose to sign in, and that will signed you in on the device that you're enrolling, which makes a lot of sense, and it will help in some specific situations where you do automated device enrollment. So very welcome feature. We also have a a ton of new settings for update management on macOS and iOS, which also shows how quickly Apple is growing in the enterprise. Jamf just released a report which showed that they have added over or close to 6 million devices under management in the last year. And that's just Jamf managed Macs. So that's quite interesting. So Microsoft mm. is really ramping up the Mac OS and iOS management together with Apple, of course, that releases the ability to manage this. So that's fantastic. Second news item uh, is that when you use Windows Autopilot, you need to identify the device in a certain way. You get a hardware hash that's calculated based on the hardware you have in the device. So what happens if you change something within the device? Of course, the hash changes (laughs) and it breaks autopilot. So now you have a feature that identifies when something is changed within the hardware and repopulates the hash so that it understands that this is the same device, but someone replaced the hard drive or added more memory or something like that. And you will still have the device under management. And the last bit, speaking about hardware, is the um, DFCI profiles. So the device, firmware, configuration, interface. That is basically how you, before the operating system really gets going, uh, can configure UEFI on the device. So you can turn off microphones, you can turn off speakers, you can turn off radios and ports from Microsoft Intune uh, and do changes to uh, UEFI uh, using Intune. And that's now been extended with additional ways of enabling wake on LAN, turn off USB ports, things like that, which is essential. For some security concerned organizations, and nice to have for a lot of other organizations that want to configure certain things. Like Wake On Lawn is something that I know a lot of organizations actually want to configure. So, a lots of good news there. And while we're talking about Microsoft Endpoint Manager, we have a new Configuration Manager release as well. It's not huge, uh, it's the 22.07 release in the current branch. Uh, but the two things there I want to point out is the new focus on update management, where you can manage your automatic deployment rules, your ADRs, within folders. And especially in large organizations, you could have hundreds of ADRs. And now you can uh, create an organizational hierarchy, as an example, of these ADRs and just clean up. Uh, and you can also create this using PowerShell which is something that the Config Manager team has always been excellent at. They always add the PowerShell support with new features. And the last bit is that you now, also with maintenance windows within Config Manager, can use offset for your maintenance windows, which hasn't been possible before. It's been possible in other parts of Config Manager. But now you can say, always have a monthly maintenance windows two days after the second Tuesday instead of trying to figure out how can we always ensure that the maintenance window goes where it should be. And the last bit, since I love how Microsoft never holds their promises on the update cadence (laughs) for Windows 10, uh, and for the ones that weren't part of the rant I had before we started with recording, sorry. (laughs) But now they've changed the release cadence of Windows 10. So from... 21H2, so the last Windows 10 version that were released last year, um, they will now change to a yearly cadence. So once every fall, they will release a new Windows 10 version that will be in support for 18 months if it's Pro and 30 months if it's Enterprise or LTSB. So they are aligning with Windows 11 and they're also getting rid of the this Two releases per year so I know that a lot of the listeners out there and everyone that saw me on stage for around 5 years talking about the fantastic new way of managing Windows and staying up to date and all of that hey I uh, just believed people I trusted
0: did you learn (gasps) anything? yes
2: and speaking about people I trust as the last one this was only a, a few bits and pieces. If you want to get an update on everything that's happened within my technology area, I would highly advise you to check out Ola Strom's blog. Uh, he is a newly awarded Windows and Devices for IT MVP. He just got his MVP award. And he has written an excellent blog post that highlights everything within Windows, device management, Windows 365, identity. Uh, so you can catch up with that. So check out Ola's blog at olastrom.com. And congratulations, Ola.
1: Exactly. So looking at my list of updates, I feel like I am confused because you two (laughs) always have your specific, like Alexander does Power BI, Simon does endpoint management, and then it's me who brings in all the tidbits from everywhere. So (laughs) I have a few different kinds of things around different areas in Azure lined up. And the first one is really exciting. It is Azure Premium SSD version 2 disk storage, which is in public preview. Do either of you have any idea what this is?
2: I love the premium SSD ones because that's the only thing I would touch when doing AVD. Uh, But what is v2? What's introduced?
1: Well, the nice thing there is that now you can actually choose what kind of size disk you want by one gigabyte uh, incre- increments mm-hmm. and also scale the IOPS in a completely scalably as well. So with the regular premium disk you're stuck to, well you get a cer- certain set of IOPS for a specific size and then you would need to like uh, kind of add more disks if you needed more IOPS for your workload. But now you can, you know, flexibly choose what kind of capacity you actually need.
0: Are you still bound to the limits of the VM when it comes to the IOPS?
1: I think you do still have the VM-specific limits. So you do need to choose the size of VM that supports the specific IOPS. Not 100% sure.
0: So you still need a ridiculous-sized VM in order to actually use any reasonable amount of IOPS?
1: No, I don't think that's true, though. Uh, I don't think the limits are so so low, but pre- pretty much with the SSD version two, you can got go up to eighty thousand IOPS, and the size can be from one to sixty four. I I mean one, byte to sixty four terabytes. So you can scale quite big, nice. and I do think it's kind of like it has been hilarious that you do need to then stripe disks together to get the correct performance you want, even though you don't need this disk space in the past if you needed a mm-hmm. lot of IOPS out. So now you don't have that limitation anymore. That anymore. And this can be used actually with any premium storage enabled virtual machine sizes. So maybe there is not the IOPS limitation. Let's check that out and Regardless,
2: needed. it's it's great news and something that uh, I, for one, have looked forward to. Yeah.
1: Yes. Exactly. Then we have some AKS news, as there is always some updates coming as well. Uh, on the AKS side, we have kind of this API server VNet integration natively. So in the past, you could create a private cluster. So that this API server that really is the part of Kubernetes service that is used to route and schedule pods and so forth, it's kind of where you do all your calls to manage that cluster. Uh, You could make this private previously, but you needed a private endpoint and a private link service and set that up to have it on your own private network. But now there's this kind of native integration, which doesn't require you to have this private endpoint built in. And then on the other hand, uh, in our uh, AKS cluster we can have several different node pools. So now there is also the capability to have some of your user node pools stopped and started. So in the past you'd have to like just scale down the nodes of your user pool and then you know add more nodes again. Uh, when you need it to scale up, but now you can actually just have a stop and a start if, if that node pool is just used at certain times, for example. So just easing that management side of things a lot. And then the last two tidbits I kind of took because it's interesting if we look at the Microsoft data offering side of Azure Synapse Analytics and then we compare to Azure Databricks, on the other hand, we see kind of the capabilities that are in one of these products come into the other one. So for example, the Databricks side has more evolved from the Spark side, whereas the Synapse Analytics more from the SQL side and and pipelines, etc. So in Azure Synapse Analytics, a lot of the Spark capabilities haven't been quite as mature as in the Databricks side because it is much newer. But uh, one of the updates that just came in is that you have these Elastic Pool storage that you can use for your Spark Pool. And what that means is that previously uh, the Spark Pool would allocate temporary storage for your workload uh, kind of at the beginning. But then if you started to need more storage, uh, you wouldn't get it. (laughs) But with the Elastic Storage, you are able to get that on the fly while you're Uh, workload is actually running, so you don't run out of storage in the middle of it. So it's kind of we're getting more mature uh, capabilities on the Synapse side on that end. On the other hand, on the Databricks side, we have a public preview of serverless SQL for Azure Databricks that came in. Sounds very familiar to You know, we have (laughs) serverless SQL (laughs) on the Synapse side. Not the same thing, And not at all how it's the same, how it's implemented behind the scenes. But uh, we had come into Databricks earlier the capability of using the Databricks SQL. So this is really kind of uh, built on those capabilities. And here you just have the capacity become available to you as you need. And it's, it's kind of the same idea as on the Synapse side for the serverless SQL pool. But uh, in the Databricks, the serverless SQL is running on a Databricks-managed subscription instead of the customer-managed subscription behind the scenes. And that's why they're able to then toss you in more capacity to run your queries when you need need it. Interesting to see how this kind of back and forth with the capabilities keeps evolving because there is clearly this pattern of like, the things that have been in the other keep popping up
0: to the other service. For sure. And I mean, the the one thing that I am dying to see is serverless Spark. Because the day when we get proper serverless Spark, then, wow, that's when we have like the the current holy grail. And I'm also very, very curious to see how Databricks, their, their serverless offering is going to stack up to... Um, the Synapse serverless offering, because mm-hmm. I've done some work with serverless over the, the summer. I've talked to a lot of people that have done uh, the same,
2: mm-hmm. and the
0: conclusion is that serverless, Synapse serverless as it is today, it's it's a nice curiosity, but it is not uh, usable for for production. Mm-hmm. It it falls over. It behaves strangely from a performance standpoint. It has some very irritating limitations. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic idea, but the implementation is just not there just yet. Um, mm. So I, I, I hope that the arms race keeps going between Databricks and Synapse, yeah. because this is what drives both sides of this, this equation forward.
1: Exactly. Very interesting times.
0: Now you're
2: allowed to laugh. Mm-hmm. Because I was today years old when I thought about how many servers you need to run something that's serverless on top?
0: Yeah. <laughs> now it's it's one of the most hilarious things.
2: Yeah. And 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 then it it like it struck me. I would love for someone to explain the difference of server and, and maybe you can. What's the difference between something that's serverless and a pause
0: service? There is no difference. It's just two two ways of explaining the same thing. Really. Serverless is the technical implementation, Ie you're going to have a shit ton of servers underneath the covers that you no. do not manage and you buy the whole thing as a platform as a service. Or Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: The the one thing though that I have found is that normally we use serverless, like where that term originally started from is mm-hmm. th- from things like functions and Lambda on the AWS side. So it started from this idea that you can run code without a full server kind of underneath. Whereas in that App Service, there... Well, in App Service, you there is even behind the scenes, you have a single VM... Which on top of you run an app service or multiple VMs. But there's VMs behind the scenes. But I think with a serverless it's abstracted kind of it could move on to another server. So there's that, you know, movability aspect that comes in. And also oftentimes there is more like things that are triggered, etc., rather than something that is running all the time. But yeah, it's not a very clear distinction in my
2: Opinion. So so and how does serverless relate to containers?
0: Oh do <gasps> not open that kind of, <laughs> kind
2: of worms. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we, we can do that another time, but it's like I it, it's it's when I know that serverless runs on servers, but
0: yeah <laughs>
2: now it was yeah. like that is it doesn't make sense. Who would it's do so that bizarre. internally? Yeah so- and then
0: First, first of all, this is not a stupid question. Absolutely no. not. No. It's a it's a question that is easy to pose, but pretty mm-hmm. darn complex to, to answer and explain. So hold it and bring it up yep. again, because this is a good discussion, I think. Mm. I think
1: we should do a focus segment about this.
2: <laughs> a, a podless episode. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and there we have the name.
0: <laughs> a brainless one, maybe.
2: Well, I can deliver that any day of the week.
1: <laughs> Excellent. From that, maybe we should move on to Please. today's focus segment You could try. We can try. It would have been an interesting discussion to continue, but I think we better con- come back to it when we like we can pull up definitions and see like what are the definitions that are used commonly out there. And I think we can have mm-hmm. a better discussion. But today, what we're going to talk about <laughs> is upskilling and also like keeping up to knowledge because the fact is, everything is changing all the time. We always have news when we do these podcasts, and ev- everything is evolving. There's so many topics, like, there's different areas you can focus on. Um, how do you actually manage to keep up to date with your knowledge? And even then, not just up to date, but upskill yourself, learn something new in a way that you can actually use it. So I want to start this off with just a question, like, how do you approach it? What's your method? Or do you have any?
2: Yeah, I I can start. I would love to have a strategy that I do follow. (laughs) And and, and I think that's uh, now very transparent here. Before me and Alexander went on our first presentation skills course, we were the best speakers on the freaking planet. And we <laughs> could wing anything and be freakishly successful. All right. <laughs> we fell down quite hard <laughs> after that.
0: Reality first, turned out to have issues yeah. with that statement. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I, I because I, I can look back at when I were at school and have the same thought that I have today. I've been either lucky or skilled enough to always have just the right amount of knowledge mm-hmm. at most points in my career. Mm-hmm. But the the older I get, and it has nothing to do with age as such, but the more I learn, the more experience I have, the more situations I end up in where I'm not prepared. And that is something that I'm working on now to find in that strategy to always ensure that I mm. give myself the opportunity to get enough knowledge for any given moment in the future. So that that's very transparent, but that's where I am that I've been fortunate enough to have been able to pick up things very easily. And if I can't, I'm always good at talking myself out of a situation (laughs) I can't handle. It Uh, is a good skill to have. Yeah, but my desire is to have a much more strategic, long-term process of constantly learning and also constantly challenging myself.
0: Mm -hmm. Makes sense. You're, you're bringing up very very good points all of them and i i, I don't think i'll remember to to uh, to give my view on on all of them but first of all i'm i'm very very lucky to be extremely a very extremely quick study i can learn so much in short time if i just put my mind to it uh, and that has served me very well through the years and i think that's why all three of us have this very strange relationship to to certifications. We just do them because it's not hard for either of us to retain information. And I would argue that the older that I get and the more experience that I get, I might not have specific knowledge for a specific situation, but my experience kicks in mm. and kind of makes it possible for me to deduce the correct answer or the mm-hmm. way to do things. Or if neither of that works, where to find the information that I need
2: yeah. in
0: a much better way than just knowing that specific um, trivia. Um, what was the last thing you said, Simon? Because I think that was a smart thing that I want to talk about. <laughs> but Do it- you remember what you said? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay.
2: But I but a, a strategy and and a strategy and the tools yes. to always give myself the opportunity. Yes, to, strategy to, and th- that's yep.
0: also a really interesting thing. I've always done everything haphazardly. I'm mm-hmm. I'm literally the the incarnation of ooh, shiny, and suddenly I find something really <laughs> interesting, and I'm off on a tangent. I go, uh, that is not the way to get a deep insight into a specific area that's not how you do it that's why i am hilariously wide i know so much about so many things but i am not necessarily super deep on everything that means that i have an idea and then i go and find myself in that situation then i dive deeper so i i try to keep an eye on most things but when i need to i dive deeper and that's when I leverage my my ability to quickly uh, bring in information into my head.
2: So how do you do it, Amy?
1: Yeah, that's I, I was thinking about this because maybe like summertime as it gets a little quieter in projects for me as a consultant, I might have a chance to learn something new a little more than like during the regular year. I I also kind of when I was thinking about it, I realized uh, a lot of the time, the learning gets directed by what I'm working on at the customers. And then, like, whatever I'm working with, that aspect I then kind of deep dive into and get all the nitty gritty details. And for me, it has happened so that I have gotten quite a lot of knowledge from different kinds of areas. And as you both mentioned, like, I've also been able to pick up things quite easily and that has also made it easier. But on the other hand, I don't necessarily think I've had much of a strategy. I've, I've followed like the things that I've worked with along the years, as well as then, of course, when you speak. I, I oftentimes, when I'm preparing a session, then do deep dive into those specific areas and test things out. I might not get a chance to test out in, in like my real-life projects. And ensure that I kind of have the kind of a much more information around the topic than I'm actually presenting. So I found that those two things are kind of the area, uh, things that most direct which things I'm actually learning, what I'm speaking about, and I'm, what I'm working with.
0: And that that's a very good point. Many companies that I've been to, they especially consultancy companies, they say that training is done on the job. As you go to a project, that's mm-hmm. where you get training. And this, is, this sounds like a good idea from a financial standpoint, because you don't need to send people to courses, mm-hmm. and they get to, well, learn on the job, if you will. That is a great way of going deeper yeah. into the rabbit hole where you're already working, but widening your, your insight, that's a whole different kettle of fish. And that's mm-hmm. where I find either going to a course or even better, going to a conference and or teaching, speaking. Mm-hmm. So that's when you have to kind of lift your eyes and, and look at the entire horizon and not only this specific part. So teaching, yeah. speaking and conferences, that's probably my, my go-to for, for uh, more holistic training.
2: Yeah.
1: I was actually thinking of asking this, that what are the methods that you feel like are the most efficient for actually learning things? Is it like getting hands-on or is it going to trainings or what is the easiest way for you to do this? I think it's a little bit personal with everyone.
2: I I think the, the most important thing to me is to know, and we have spoken of this so many times, I need to have a very clear why I'm learning something. And and that can be I'm doing a session or I have a customer project or it's fun it's something I want to learn. Mm. But then and I do I think I do this without noticing it. Then I break it down. What do I need to achieve this? Uh, so currently I I want to get better on Kubernetes. I want to eat at Kubernetes still, but I don't want to be better at Kubernetes. That's something, <laughs> and that's a really good thing. That's a perfect yeah. example. I don't see any need for me to learn about Kubernetes at all. I've,
1: I feel the same about endpoint management.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love hearing about it and mm-hmm. picking up bits and pieces, but I don't, I that that's why I've also stopped doing certain Azure things. Mm. I don't need to learn that. I have tons of people that can do it and I'm more than happy to point whoever asks me something to them. But I read a lot about DevOps because I do think that learning about that and understanding it on a deeper level will help me in everything else I do. Mm. It's the foundation. Um, That's the next step in what I want to do in my career to get that understanding and then on that, add everything I already have learned. So yeah. I think I'm at that next step and I'm now trying to get a firm ground to stand on before actually starting to get into the, the deeper things after that step.
0: So, um, and this is actually a serious question. Would you say that it is easy or difficult to figure out what you do not need or want to learn now this is going to be a very deep response to that
2: what I found most (laughs) the hardest bit is to understand what I want and need and not what everyone else expects me to learn but once you get away from what everyone else wants you to do then I have found that you actually get so much more air (laughs) that it, to me, were quite easy to do so.
0: And yeah. I, I think I agree with that.
2: Mm-hmm. But I
0: also argue that you need a, a bit of experience before you learn how to figure out what can I say no to, what is mm-hmm. outside of my, mm-hmm. my scope of practice. And that's why I'm, I'm pointing this question to to Haney. You're vastly experienced, but you have not spent that much time in this Industry. What's your mm. view on choosing what to learn and choosing, not not just by not choosing, but specifically choosing what not to learn?
1: Well, I'm a person who approaches learning from a point of like, I want to get the big, big picture first. So I, I have like, especially when I started, I wanted to get information about everything a little bit. And I think that was actually a really good thing because then I have like reference points all around, even about endpoint management. I, I know, know a few <laughs> things, but I have a little bit of reference so that I can understand if somebody talks about it, I know like what is the context, what is it for and so forth. So I always start from this big picture and then as I start going into a specific area, then it feels like I have a place to anchor that information too. And I think I've described this to both of you, but I see kind of like these mental 3D maps of information in my head. And that's where my presentation style kind of, kind of spans from as well. And that's how I myself connect the information. But, well, for me to figure out what I want to do and what I don't, what I want to learn and what I don't, well, I had to learn a bit of everything as well. Because how can I say no to something if I don't know what it is? So I do feel that you're, Alexander, quite right, that you need a little experience to be able to say no to something. Because, yeah, you cannot say no if you don't know (laughs) what you're saying no to. And then kind of if you, like, if I were giving advice to somebody who is starting out, I would say, like, go wide and try out everything a bit to figure out what you like, if that's not clear to you yet. Then, when you test different things out, you can find, like, what do you really, like, get excited about? (laughs) Like, networking.
2: (laughs) Endpoint management. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) Maybe the wrong kind of connotation, but... Anyways, (laughs) find the stuff that really gets you excited. And I don't think, like, excitement should be undervalued, We often go like with learning, you need to be logical and systematic. But if you follow what you're really excited about, then you're going to be inspired and really like always wanting to learn more because it's an area that really like sparks a little bit of like, this is so interesting. Then you're actually going to keep going on that path of learning and not going to be like done in five years because there's so much learning to do all the time. Sorry, I got a little rambly there.
0: No, and and, and I (laughs) I agree. The thing is, I spent many, many years trying to figure out what I wanted to specialize on. Mm -hmm. And I've had countless discussions with the both of you, essentially crying at your shoulders, saying, how the heck do I figure out what I want to specialize on? And in my case, it almost drove me to a depression. It took me years before I figured out that I My area of specialty is the broad picture, creating the architecture for the whole, almost the whole stack. I can't do squat about modern work and that kind of stuff, but I know a bit about just about everything else. That's what interests me. That's what drives me. And when I finally figured out that, no, I don't need to go deep on a specific area, that's not me, then I came into what you described, Haney, and then Simon said, Oh, this is exciting. This is what I want to do. So it's out there, uh, but it might not necessarily be where you're looking.
1: And the fact is that this can also change over time. Yes. And that's fine. <laughs> it, it can even be like nice to shift ways at some point and direct your learning into a sp- another direction. Because, you know, we spent quite many years at work. So there's times to do all, all kinds of stuff.
2: And my wife have done that. She studied to be a social worker for many, many years. And then she realized that that's not what I want to do. So she's now <laughs> studying to become a teacher. And she sometimes said that, why did I spend all of those years studying something I didn't want to do? But then you flip that around. Just imagine how you can use what you already have learned and be a exactly. better teacher with that. And, and that's, I, I still remember that uh, unconference I did at Ignite, where you found your hidden superpowers and how incredibly moving that were. Uh, and I especially remember one person that used to be a dancer. And like, you can use so many of the things you learned there in your IT career. Mm-hmm. And I think that really meant something to that person, and it, it sure touched me. So,
0: I'm going to bring up uh, a specific example, and that's one one of the examples that I have kept trying to push through my my current employer, and that is Linda. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked to her, we've we've seen her on stage. She has a background in retail. She used to to manage a retail store, and people go, well, what what use do you have of retail with bi and i go dude that is one of the, the questions ever yeah.
2: she, yeah, she exactly. knows
0: people she knows behaviors she knows what's important for a store manager i cannot think of a better basis to run a bi environment than be bi skill set on top of so i i absolutely agree simon there is no such thing as too much knowledge and, and too much background so use everything you have because that's what makes you unique and we're Correct. unique in the way that we cannot handle a watch even if our lives <laughs> depended on it so I think we need to move very quickly through the, the upcoming events and stuff like yeah, um, so and I,
2: I've taken the opportunity to rearrange them all so they are now in uh, chronological order rather than be just saying it in our order
0: well, I think that's a beautiful idea, but um, either you can't really handle a calendar <laughs> or um, what is probably mo- more likely, um, OneNote has not synced.
2: I, I think that's the case because I'm... Uh... I do think so.
0: Okay, so <laughs> yeah. Simon, you apparently have the the, uh, the I, right I, the right yeah. order.
2: So first, I and, and I go first then because I have the first event. September 1st, AVD Tech Fest, please sign up. Spaces are limited, and it will be a fantastic event in Amsterdam. Second Yay. up is Data Scotland, and I think you yes. both are going there.
0: Congratulations! Yes. We are. That's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, since Simon really doesn't like Glasgow, it's it's a, going to be a good fun event. Thank you. <laughs> now, <laughs> Why I'm, I'm did you come forward. along?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, honest, I've looked into it because I have very little to do in Amsterdam on that day. Uh, so you're coming to Glasgow. No, I'm going to Heineken for their VIP tour. Oh, sounds. <laughs> I will. Like a I will go back to Scotland in December at the latest. All right, that's not too bad. And after that, uh, I think Heini continues to the next uh, My yes. Data Summit, which isn't. Yes. My Data.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, I'm doing an online conference called My Data Summit. It is a little more uh, kind of coming from the Excel Power BI perspective, but I am and also Azure data services. So I'm doing a session about Azure AD and Azure data services.
2: Nice. Yeah. And then it's me again. Agile Disrupt in Stockholm on September 6th. Uh, I'm speaking of uh, digital workplace and a how to create a secure digital workplace with IGEL and a lot of other things, of course then we have alexander going to oslo
0: data saturday oslo and this is going to be the first time i run my pre-con making data matter yeah and that is equal parts hilarious exciting and uh scary um it's going to be so much fun to see if my idea for a full day workshop on presentation skills and data storytelling and visualization all the whole nine yards uh work out. I think it will. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what the students are going to do uh, with it. Great. And then
2: I'm flying to San Diego for JNUC, that's Jamf Nation User Conference in late September. That will be really exciting, uh, and it will be very interesting to attend a conference where they only talk about macOS. And if someone would have said that to me five years ago... <laughs> <laughs> But that that will be a lot of fun, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. Next up, Alexander and Haney is going to Belgium.
0: Ah, yes, Data Minds Connect, and I get More to run pre-cons. Yes, we we both have precons, <laughs> yeah, uh, which is fantastic. Even though I would love to be at your precon, um, likewise. Yeah, that's that's yeah, you want to be at your own precon? I get that. Um, <laughs> No, it's it's gonna be so much fun because this this is the same precon that I run in Oslo, so this is the second Mm -hmm. uh, iteration, and it's so good to be able to do it with uh, so little time between. Yeah, and of course the the Data Minds Connect is a fantastic event. Wasn't that one of your first um, in in public uh, presentation events as well?
1: It was my first in person event last year, and I was talking there an hour session about Terraform, and now I'm doing a full-day pre-con about infrastructure as code. So super exciting.
2: And then we have actually added Microsoft Ignite here. We know very little about Ignite, (laughs) uh, but that will happen between October 12th and 14th. I have no clue where I will be. uh, At home or somewhere else, no clue, but Ignite is there at least. And then... I go to Oslo to jump on a boat and do a cruise to Kiel for the Citrix user group Norway. Sounds so the, horrible. No, it will be a lot of fun. It's a humongous <laughs> boat.
0: I think that was irony, but I'm, I'm not
2: sure. Yeah, it
1: was irony. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't make it clear enough.
2: <laughs> no, but like, I, I was just not expecting a fin to be ironic.
0: <laughs> Have you met any... Yeah,
2: I know. No, but but it will be a lot of fun. Um, really looking forward to it. It's a relatively small conference. Uh, lots on a of very large content, boat. On a very <laughs> large boat. So uh, it will be a lot of fun. And then I'm going to Orlando for Tech Mentor, uh, and co-presenting a session together with my colleague Nicholas Albay on identity governance, among other things. Mm. So I, and and that's. Just to start. I have other things that I can't disclose. There are other things that we will be doing.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: So at a very exciting autumn fall host. What's autumn in Finnish? Sucsu. Come again. Kind of like that. Sucsu.
0: What she said. Yeah. <laughs> and on that <laughs> I think it's indeed time to, to end. It's been amazing to be back. Um, yes. I, I knew that I missed this. I didn't realize just how much I missed this. And with the... the um, I'm not entirely sure that it's a good idea, but with the ideas that were discussed before we started recording, uh, things will become more exciting on the podcast going forward. And you might actually get to benefit from that, my dear listener. Mm-hmm. So, Yes. Uh, hopefully expect, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully or awfully it's it's hard to tell uh no it's it's uh it's gonna be an interesting experiment let's let's mm-hmm. definitely try it out then we'll we'll give you all the information and all the details when we we have them we'll be back in two weeks mm-hmm. and until then have a wonderful time and we'll see you have a good one take care bye 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Needy Bintech. in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmarinen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needybintech.com.